This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform for creating a blog, website, portfolio, or an online store. To create your own space, visit squarespace.com and save 10% by using offer code TREK7. And by TrekFan. It's not just a fan club, it's an adventure. You'll explore new places, learn new things, and collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles, complete real-life mission objectives, and win great prizes. Don't miss out. Help us move toward that Star Trek future by visiting trekfan.org. Plus, if you'd like to support our programming personally, visit trek.fm slash donate to get our new alien badges featuring original illustration by Tobu Ushi. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me again this week is my lovely co-host from Down Under. It's Kate Walsh. Hey, Kate, how are you doing this week? Oh, I'm not bad, thanks, Chris and you. Or should I say, sweetie? <laughs> no, I'm Chrysillic tonight. Oh, okay. <laughs> Got your Enterprise hat on. Now, now, Kate, I have to ask you a question. Now, you're looking a little bit yellowish tonight, and <laughs> when I walked in, you were climbing on the ceiling. Now, what is going on? Well, you know, in in Australia, everything's upside down, so we don't walk around on the floors. You know, we um, and we've got a lot of, of beaches happening here too, so that might have explained my kind of sandy complexion as well as you know me walking around on the ceiling. Okay, well, that makes more sense. You know, for a minute there, I was a little bit worried that you might be a Sulaban. No, no, um, all is well. (laughs) Okay, that's good to hear. Well, you know, last week we talked about Captain Archer, and this week we're going to talk about one of the first thorns in his side, and that's, of course, Silic and the Sulaban. That's right. So, Kate, the Sulaban were, were very... I remember when Enterprise premiered, and I thought the Sulaban are an interesting-looking race. They're a little bit different, a little bit more creative alien-wise, I guess, than some of the things that we had seen on Star Trek, uh, at least in recent years, leading up to Broken Bow. What did you think about these yellow, pockmarked, sandy-faced aliens? I thought visually they were awesome. You know, I just love that sandy complexion. <laughs> the, um, the the makeup was just so creative. And, um, you know, the other thing that was so striking about them um, was um, in that pilot in particular, there were a lot of really good special effects used in relation to the Sulaban storyline. Oh, definitely. Um, and that was, oh, yeah. you know, it had this real big budget feel about it, that pilot. So... Um, I associate those effects with the Sulaban as well. 
It's a good point about Broken Bow. People ask me, you know, what's what is the best premiere episode of any Star Trek series? And I tell people, in terms of production, I think Broken Bow is the best pilot. And people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, Enterprise? Really? Like, yeah, you know, I mean, for, in terms of a story, I think Emissary is the best pilot. But in terms of overall production... Broken oh, absolutely. Bow. Even um, the scene that, that stands out to me more than anything is that the opening scene in the cornfield, and it just looks spectacular. Um, and uh, but but going back to the actual the Sulaban's physical appearance, the thing I really appreciated about the Sulaban is that a lot of the species that we see in Star Trek. You know, like we've got the Klingons with the forehead ridges, or someone with a nose or an ear that's shaped a bit differently, and um, this kind of, it's used. It's, prosthetics are used, and uh, much more so. But the thing with the Sulaban is, it was actually the tone of the skin. It was it was a new take, something I hadn't really seen a lot in other series. A different way to make them humanoid, but to stand out. And not just the tone, but the yes. texture as well. Like you really felt that these were aliens, not just bumps on the nose. Well, that's right. And and the other thing with the Sulaban is that they were actually, they, they did have quite a different feel about their movement as well, which which also comes down to the effects, mm-hmm. as I've said. It, it just, it felt very unique. And for that premiere, it, really set Enterprise apart from other series. Uh, it made me think, wow, we're, g- we're getting something really new here. Maybe they were all double-jointed. Everyone on the planet is double-jointed. Or, um, or, or even <laughs> zero-jointed <laughs> by the way they were sliding under those doors. Zero-jointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Of course, that's something we'll get into in a moment because – not all Sulaban could slide under doors. There was something a little bit special about those Sulaban who could slide under doors. There was, and I personally, I have mixed feelings about that aspect of the show. We we learned about the you know the Sulaban cabal um, through Enterprise and, and in that pilot, which were uh, a, a very specific group of Sulaban who were involved in um, what we later learned to be the Temporal Cold War. But in learning about them and their storyline, we weren't really learning about the Sulaban as a race. And and that's the only, one of the main regrets I have about the way the Sulaban storylines were treated in, in Enterprise. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So we'll come around to that as we talk today. But let's start out with just the reason that the Sulaban were introduced to the show in the first place. And there are really two angles to this. There's, of course, the angle that Brandon has talked about before in interviews, and he even mentions it on the Blu-rays, about how the studio wanted to have a futuristic element to the show, and therefore the Temporal Cold War came into play, and then the Sulaban are central to the whole Temporal Cold War concept because they are you know, basically mm-hmm. the agents that are being used in the Temporal Cold War. I love Brandon's response to that, which is that I think, you know, a show set in the 22nd century is pretty futuristic (laughs) already. So (laughs) 
And I agree with him on that. That's a good point. Although, of course, he wanted to uh, originally that yeah. he and Rick wanted it to be uh, more of an earthbound show, at least in the first season. And, right. Uh, but then yeah. he kind of forced to take it into the um, in, in more into space. And, and yeah, uh, as you've said, the studio were really looking for something even further beyond the twenty fourth century, which is the storyline that the temporal cold war introduced right. us to. Um, and yeah, the Sulaban were the key agents in that. They were. Um, not directly a futuristic enemy, but agents of that futuristic enemy. Exactly, yeah. So there's that, and then there's the idea of just kind of making the show a little bit scarier, or maybe not not scary in the sense of of you're going <laughs> to scream and you're going to be frightened, but just kind of this kind of eerie or creepy feeling, like there's just something creepy going on. With this guy Silic and this woman Saren and, and these Sulaban characters, I certainly think. And of at course, the start guy. of the show that that was fairly successful. And when I spoke about this this species being quite different to anything I'd seen in Star Trek, I think that was a part of it. Um, it had uh, particularly the scenes where they they're sliding under the doors or the way they're climbing on the on the ceilings. It it had a much more menacing. Um, feel to it than than really any of the aliens I'd seen before in Star Trek. Uh, the Borg were fairly scary. They used to terrify me when I was younger, but um, you know, I hadn't seen a lot since then um that would really equal the feel of the Sulaban. I am in, in thinking about this over the last couple of days, because we, we know, of course, from from interviews that we've seen and read before with with Brandon in particular that he's quite a horror fan. He is a fan of Stephen King and has right. even has written horror himself in his earlier careers. And so I think, you know, this is – I can really see his influence in trying to bring that kind of edgier – not not too much dark and gritty, right. but just a, a slight element of horror into Enterprise. Because you mentioned the Borg, and the Borg are scary because you can't mm. stop them. But – the Borg are not going to sneak up on you. No, you know the Borg. You know where they are, and they're going to just keep walking towards you, and you can't stop them, and they're going to come and assimilate you. Whereas the Sulaban, you don't know where they are. It's like something lurking in the shadows. Something they could be behind you, they could be over your head. You 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 don't know where they are, and that's a very creepy factor. Well, the scenes where they're on the ceiling actually remind me very much of some of the scenes that we see in the Alien movies, where Mm. They can really contort, and because of the skin color, they can hide, and they're you know they're, they're super predators. And it, it had very much had that feel to me. And, and as you say, because you don't know where they are, um, you don't know who they are. It, it, it's a little bit like uh, this, I guess, as a Deep Space Nine fan, you might be able to comment the the way that the shapeshifters are portrayed. A little bit, yeah. But but the shapeshifters come in and and the changelings come in and you don't know who they are. You know they replace even some key major characters mm. are replaced by changelings for lengthy periods on the show. And so a little bit like that, you know, you're unsure. But this is more just kind of like the Sulaban for me are more like these just. It's like ghosts in the closet, mm. like when you're a kid, or ghosts under the bed. You don't know. You just yeah. You're always worried that there's something out there. So it has that kind of feel. Mm. 
Now, the the Suliban were, you know, every show has its enemy. Of course, when we think of the original series, we think of the Klingons as being the enemy, although the Klingons only appeared in seven episodes of TOS. They're not really there as much as people remember them being. And in some of those cases, it was just like they were there, but they weren't central to the, the story. Then in TNG, you have the Borg, although the Ferengi were originally introduced mm. to be the super enemy for the next generation, but that didn't quite work out thanks to uh, whips and fur and jumping around like monkeys <laughs> in the last outpost. Uh, DS9, of course, has the Dominion and the Jim Hadar. Voyager has the Borg in the later seasons, but we could also look at a few other races like the Hirogen, mm. for example. Of course, we have the Kazon, which were kind of lame early on, but the Kazon were originally the, the big enemy. And in Enterprise, we have the Sulabine. How do you feel the Sulabine lived up to their position of being that villain in Enterprise? You know, did, did they fulfill the role that they were intended to fulfill? How did it work yeah, for in you? My, in my opinion, no, they did not. I think early on, as you know, at the pilot and... and maybe the first half of season one, they were clearly the main enemy. But as as the show focused on, you know, going out in space and, um, you know, the challenges of that, it, it felt like much more energy was going into that aspect of the show than, you know, creating this uh, a, a significant backstory for this super enemy. I, they felt a little wishy-washy and the storylines a little underdeveloped for me on that side. And I really appreciate the first season. I love it. It's you know, probably my favourite of all of the Enterprise seasons, uh, but not because of the Sulaban. They, As I reflect back on that first season in particular, they don't feel like a large part of it to me. When I think of a super enemy right. in Enterprise, I think um, of the Zindi and the third season story arc. Yeah, when you get to the end of the series and you look back, definitely the Zindi would be the super enemy for Enterprise. But do you feel like the Sulaban detract from the overall storytelling, the overall theme of Enterprise in the first season, second season? I would say that, and you know, just, just my opinion is that the lack of follow-through with the Sulaban mm-hmm. seems to weaken the show just a little for me. That's kind of the thing, I guess, right? Mm. Yeah, lack of follow-through. It's, I think there was something there that could be very interesting I'm not sure that I can really position them as the super enemy, no. though, because they were they were doing what they were doing largely to get their rewards from Future Guy in the 28th century. Yes. More so than they didn't personally have it out for humans or Earth or Archer. Mm. And there's some intrigue there that I think could have been capitalized upon that wasn't. 
Especially when you get to like that scene on Ryza in Two Days and Two Nights, where Archer, you know, he he has this woman, he has this love interest going on, and of course she turns out to be a Sulaban, mm. right? And that was that was kind of interesting. It had me kind of intrigued, but but still yet it felt like it didn't quite go anywhere. Yeah. Um it that that storyline, that that part of that storyline certainly got into some of that that fear and doubt that we could have and it, I think it would have played in very well with the uncertainty of going out in space for the first time that we've also got this uncertainty around you know can we trust these people we're really dealing with do we even believe their identity uh, and so I think that could have worked mm-hmm. really well but um, at that stage it it felt it was as as we've said. It, it didn't feel to me like it was really followed through with and made into something more substantial. And I wonder if a part of that is that the show wasn't really looking at a race; they were looking at a subset of a race. Right. It it could be, or it could be just that this element of the show wasn't really part of the original design of the show. Mm. You know, it was kind of wedged in there to meet the studio's uh, desires for that futuristic element. So there's a little bit of a, I think, a tug of war in storytelling. Mm. You know, if you look at episodes like Strange New World or Shuttlepod 1, these types of episodes where they're really exploring, or or even Terra Nova, Mm. you know, it's where they're, they're seeing other worlds for the very first time. I feel that's more the idea of the show, whereas the temporal Cold War, the Sulabine element, feels more like traditional Star Trek. Yes. Uh, in the sense of a storyline we might have in any of the other Star Trek series. And so there there feels like, to me, a little bit of a creative tug-of-war mm. going on here, and maybe... And, and that maybe the, uh, the hearts of the writers weren't really in that storyline. Right, exactly. Like the the original concept of the show was winning out a bit more over this. And so this was here, but it was underdeveloped. And and it left you just kind of wondering, like if it's going to be in the show, you want it to, to have more follow through, to grab you and pull you along through the storyline a little bit more. Because otherwise you feel like it's just taking up time from... Yeah the parts of the show that you really want to be seeing. Yeah, that's it. And when we, we look at the Zindi storyline, I mean, that really was very, a very deliberate thing. Their hearts had gone into it and that's that's reflected in the uh, the status of that enemy and what we feel is at stake in fighting that enemy. Now, the Sulaban themselves, the, the backstory, which you have to kind of piece together from things that are said in different episodes, is that their planet became uninhabitable in what would be on our calendar here on Earth around the 1850s. So that means for about 300 years, this race has been roaming and been nomadic because their homeworld had been rendered uninhabitable. And so then in 2151, so it really is 300 years later, they have their first contact with humans because of the fact that Clang ends up on Earth And the Suliban are trying to start this Klingon civil war. And so that's how they end up 
encountering humans and, and trying to disrupt, you know, Archer taking Clang back to Kronos. So it's kind of interesting. And, and they're a race that was pretty much like humans. They weren't really more evolved than humans, but they were getting this uh, ability, this technology to genetically enhance themselves from some guy who we all call future guy in the 28th century as a reward for helping him manipulate historical events as part of the temporal Cold War. And so that leads us to the question, really, of whether or not the Suliban are terrorists or if they're pawns being manipulated by future guy. And it's very interesting to me that before the 9-11 attacks on the United States, Rick Berman actually chose the name Suliban based on the Taliban. Yes. So Suliban, Taliban, and mostly because he said it was just kind of, it was an unusual or exotic name for him. And he had spent time in Afghanistan shooting documentaries and it just seemed like a dramatic name. Of course, it turns out to have been quite accurate for the way that the Suleiman Cabal are portrayed on the show and what the Taliban have done over the mm. years since Enterprise uh, aired and went off the air. And also given the themes that were explored through Enterprise, where you know, we really did look at terrorist themes through that third season storyline. Um, and it's quite ironic that that there was that link, uh, you know, in choosing the Suleiman name based on the Taliban, quite prophetic in some ways. It was, yeah. Well, what do you think? Do you feel like they were terrorists or that were they just pawns for Future Guy? Maybe this is uh, partly why I don't really buy the super enemy thing uh, and not to make excuses for the Suliban, <laughs> but uh, if we think of their backstory, this is a displaced people. Uh, we don't know the entire motives of why they were looking for these genetic enhancements other than to speed up their evolutionary process, but I couldn't help but think of them as a vulnerable group that are taking uh, extreme measures and what I would consider immoral measures to advance themselves and and that might mean that they are an immoral group of people but I don't know that I would go so far as to call them terrorists in and of themselves I felt like they were being quite manipulated and a, a lot of the time quite ignorant of what the consequences were going to be of their actions yeah I tend to agree I think for me to classify them as terrorists, I feel like they have to have a motive themselves beyond trying to um, enhance themselves or you know to speed up their evolutionary process or or what have you. And although you could look at things like attacking Klingon outposts in an effort to ignite a Klingon civil war, you could certainly look at that and say, well, those are acts of terrorism. They were doing them on behalf of Future Guy. Mm. I wish he had another a better name. <laughs> you know, we don't we don't really know. Although, uh, you know, we've been told now that in season five we were going to find out that Future Guy was actually Archer, mm. who was trying to 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 write 
some wrongs by by manipulating history. But again, that comes from Manny Koto's magic bag of hindsight, as we refer to it on the ready room. All the things that have been revealed that we would have found out about um, various characters or plot lines in the fifth season. Mm particularly the one about where Porthos was actually a cat. That was, I don't know where they were going with that, but <laughs> T'Pol was half Romulan. That's a real one. <laughs> so... And Malcolm Reed actually was a ladies' man. <laughs> and Travis actually had all the lines and they had to rewrite them so other characters had something to do. But but no, here, uh, so the, the Suliban, they're doing these things because they're being directed by Future Guy to do them. And so, to me, that really makes them pawns and not terrorists. I think they are pawns in this temporal cold war. Future Guy and and whoever else is involved in manipulating them has identified a vulnerable race, as you described them, Mm. and realized that they can manipulate these people. And... That's what they're doing. Because the Suliban didn't have their own direct agenda against humans or Klingons, as exactly. like you're saying, I think. Yeah, they right. had yeah. their agenda was quite separate from that. And yeah, I, I yeah. think you're spot on. They were being manipulated by people with uh, technology and power and knowledge far beyond theirs to give them, you know, to, to satisfy um, the, the needs and vulnerabilities of this sort right. of cabal group. And it's very tempting for them too, because I made a list of, of things that they got in exchange for, for helping in terms of genetic enhancements. They gained the ability to shape shift. They had enhanced senses. Uh, they could survive extreme environments that would kill humans or, or most other humanoid species. Uh, they were able to climb walls like spiders. I assume that Spider-Man was probably a really very, very popular comic and cartoon series and, and later film franchise on the Suliban homeworld. <laughs> and, and you might think, well, their, their homeworld was rendered inhabitable in the 1850s. How would they know about Spider-Man? But, you know, they're receiving all this stuff from the future. So, Well, exactly. I mean... Easily. Get it. They even have the 4K edition of all the Spider-Man movies. <laughs> so uh, they also gain the ability to slide under doors. And, you know, that would come in handy. Particularly if you've lost your keys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They also gained other technology, like these sail ships that had tractor beams and cloaking devices. They had uh, those stealth cruisers, which came in handy when they tried to frame the Enterprise crew. And they they had those big space stations where they could assemble the cell ships together, like hundreds mm. of these ships, and they assembled them together. And uh, they could house thousands of, of Suliban individuals on those. I mean, these were all things that were quite far advanced over mm. human technology, even though the Suliban as a race were really not any more advanced than humans. So, so, so it was very tempting for them to help, and they really received... A, a lot of stuff there. But as we talk about them being terrorists, we talk about the Suliban Cabal being a terrorist organization. That's how it's portrayed, even though we, we really see them more as pawns. And I feel like in Enterprise, we've talked about this you know, off the air, that 
it feels a little bit like a one-sided story, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Like we're not we're not really learning about the Sulabine. We're learning about this really small sect that is carrying out uh, terrorist activity on behalf of Future Guy. That's right. And as I've I mentioned, um, you know, before, uh, we we could have learned so much more about the Sulaban as a race, but we also probably could have learned more about the Sulaban cabal and their own backstory beyond just being pawns being manipulated by a future guy. But certainly uh, there's an episode of Enterprise called Detained where we're exposed to other members of the Sulaban race. When Archer oh, and- yes. Detained is a good episode. That's where Al questions Sam about all Wait, wait, wait a minute. No, no, no. No, it's not it's not Al. It's it's Gat who questions Archer about Saren and everything else that's going on. Sorry, I got my quantum leap and in, in <laughs> You know. I mean Dean Anderson was there, Scott Bakula was there. I psh. I remember seeing a large supply of paper clips as well. <laughs> but yeah, detained is a good episode that that's the thing, like I was saying earlier, like there's some intrigue there. Detained is an episode which lets us know that there is more to the Sulabine than just these little tidbits that we've been getting about the Cabal and and their role in the Temporal Cold War. Although we, we learned a little bit more about the backstory of the Sulabine through that episode, Detained. But it wasn't really expanded upon at any point later in the show. That's and, the thing, And ultimately yeah. it seemed to me... Um, and you may be able to comment more on this, um, having, you know, uh, being a Native American. Uh, it felt like uh, a real commentary on the war on terror and the backlash against the Muslim community. Detained? Uh, yes. Oh, no. Detained was was an extremely transparent story about the internment of Japanese during World War II in the US. Oh, I see. From my perspective, as I mean, you're obviously Japanese or live in Japan as well, so the American history around that is probably you'd probably know a lot more about that than I do. Uh, but as an outsider, I, I could see those same themes applying to uh, a public reaction to any terrorist group as well. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I mean, you can you could parallel it, you could update it. I guess because of 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 my age, I associate it immediately with. What happened in World War II, and, and of mm. course, because I am, you know, essentially Japanese, I lived my whole adult life in Japan. But, uh, but if you look something like Guantanamo Bay, yeah, I mean, you can mm. see similarities here in reactions, because as you say, the Tandarans are are viewing the Sulaban as terrorists, mm. and so they are uh, detaining them. <laughs> Hence the name of the episode. <laughs> so, so yeah, exactly. That's it works for that. Just as well as it does for for the World War Two analogy, and we've seen similar things in, in some ways in in Australia, where uh, those in in positions of authority claim to be doing certain things, to, which are actually taking away the rights of other groups under the guise of protecting them, and so yeah. I, I I saw some of those parallels as well, it, and that's. I think makes it quite an interesting episode that you can look at look at it from quite a number of perspectives. It's a good point. I'm glad you brought it up because next time I watch it, I'm going to watch it 
with that different angle. And, and I may feel differently about the writing if I, you know, m- maybe it is a little bit more nuanced than I've given it credit for in the past. So that's a good point. But that's a really good episode. And I, I wish they had followed through a little bit more on what they were setting up there. They, they follow through a little bit. Yeah, but there are some threads. Mm-hmm. And this is that little bit of continuity that you do get in Enterprise that you never got in Voyager. It's, you know, the continuity in Enterprise is not quite on the DS9 level, yeah. but it is there. And and I just mentioned Two Days and Two Nights earlier, and there is follow through from Detained. You know, there are references back to that that follow through there. And, and that's quite nice. And, and it gave me hope that it was going somewhere else. But of course, it didn't really... It didn't really go where I wanted it to. And that really leads us to what we'll close with here, mm. which is just how the Suleban story was wrapped up and what would we have liked to have seen. You know, the, the Suleban story really never got wrapped up. The Temporal Cold War came to an end. Uh, Silic spoiler. And I guess we should point out the format of Warp 5 here. So far, we haven't given away too much. We are talking about the series in broad strokes. You know, mm. we're, we're not going through episode by episode. So we are going to reveal plot points from later in the series. You know, as the Temporal Cold War wraps up on Earth in 1944, Silic dies. And that's kind of the end of the Suleban as well. And it was really, it really fizzled out, you know? It's almost like Kirk's death in generations, you know? It just left you like, that's it? Nothing more? Yeah. What would you have liked to have seen in terms of the Suleban and wrapping them up? Well, I guess I'll, I'll start by saying I felt it was very rushed, and yes, it did it did fizzle out. Uh, it, it's been said, I think it was on the commentary on the Blu-ray for the pilot that they had a sense that the the series was going to be coming to an end and Manny Cotto wanted to go in yeah. this new direction. And so, yes, they did wrap it up very quickly. But I think it's more than just fizzling out. I, I don't know that it ever really got a foothold in the show. As we moved through the series, we still had this temporal Cold War storyline going throughout it, but it became... You know, the, the Zindi kind of got involved and, and the Suleban just disappeared. And the Sphere the Builders got involved. Yes. Yeah, that's as right. Well. Uh, and we had the um, Crewman Daniels stuff happening and and the Suleban just seemed to fade away into the distance completely and, and seemed much less of a, a, a party or, or any kind of threat in that Cold War. Right. So so when, when Silic stows away on the Enterprise, when Daniel sends the Enterprise back to 1944, it almost felt like, oh, yeah, we have those Suleban guys. Yeah. Let's send Silic back so that he can be part of this, of wrapping this up, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it yeah. was a, it, they, they just had lost their, their power and their sense of threat by yeah. that stage. So I guess I would have, uh, it, it, to me, it's not just in the way it was wrapped up that it was. It was already kind of a lost cause by that stage, in, from my perspective. Yeah. Uh, as I've said, I would like to have learnt more, if not about the Suleban as a whole, but about the actual backstory of the Suleban cabal, 
and something that I could have connected to on a more emotional level with them to to maybe look at the complexities of their motivations um, in in looking for these enhancements and this technology. Uh, yeah. That's something that I think would have made it a richer storyline. It would have been interesting. And, and maybe that's, you know, when Brandon talks about how the Temporal Cold War was really an idea he had for another series that mm. just kind of got adapted to Enterprise. Maybe if that had been in some series, those could have been the kinds of storylines that we could have gotten and we could have, you know, explored the motivations behind this race. And, and, and if I think that storyline had been given its own, I mean, it's, it's a great idea. It's a very creative idea. Right. Yeah. But it, it wasn't allowed to stand on its own. There were other objectives for the show. Um, and as we've said, I, I don't think that the heart of the writers was really in it in this context. It wasn't in their original design. That's not to say it wasn't a good idea or that uh, that they did a I, – I wouldn't go so far as to say that, that the writers did a poor job in executing it. I think they were just cross-purposes with the show. I think you're right, yeah. So my final thought on the Sulaban is that, as you just said, I think it was an interesting idea. I think there was a lot of potential to go somewhere with that story. But I do feel like it was creatively at odds with what they really wanted to do with the series. And so, yeah, I mean, saying their, maybe their hearts weren't really in it might might be the case, as you just said. I think that might be the case. So I will never know what could have been done with the Sulabine because, you know, unless we get that fifth season on Enterprise. But, of course, the Sulabine aren't going to be part of that because mm. they're gone at that point. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know. Good, good, good effort to create an interesting alien race to be a thorn in the side of Archer and his crew. Didn't quite work out fitting it into the fabric of the show, but there are certainly good moments involving the Sulabine, and and there are very memorable moments from the show that wouldn't exist without Silic and without the Sulabine. So, so yeah, I'm just kind of. So-so in the Sulaban, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I don't want to be too harsh on them, but it, I know that there are some viewers of Enterprise that feel there there are elements that are lackluster or not quite coherent, and I, I suspect the Sulaban is a part of that. It, it is for me at times. Could be, yeah. Well, it's been fun talking about the Sulaban, Kate, but this is just one of the Trek topics that we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. So let's give everyone a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, the orb. In the pale moonlight. It's really <laughs> probably the most fantastic thing because yeah. everyone can do it. I mean, if you haven't seen Star Trek, you've seen that meme, you know, rolling around. It's a fake! The ready room. Spark's brain. Oh, you've, sure. Yeah. You've, you've spent time of your life trying to keep the show on the air and you're rewarded <laughs> with he's worse than dead come on bones what's the mystery his brain is gone decade star trek online the the long awaited and anticipated triple test reward which to many people's shock and amusement and surprise was actually a triple, a triple. to the journey neelix this guy's like the fred sanford 
of space. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I thought. Exactly. Commentary, Trek stars. Someone is bleeding. There's the whole thing where she's like, I've never met a man like you. And then, you know, she like turns on a dime and does all this stuff. And then, at the, well, we'll get into that later. But, um, <laughs> Trek news and views. Voyager season seven. This is the thing. It's, it's, I know the Doctor is created in the image of Zimmerman and Zimmerman's bold and blah, blah, blah. But surely to God, if you was creating an alter ego of yourself, you would give yourself hair. Literary Treks. Stellar cartography. The big thing about the Dominion was they kept talking about how Vulcan and Earth and, and all the Federation homeworlds were threatened. Well, if you look at his the, the map layout, if they're going to be threatened, that means the Dominion was right on their doorstep. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get your daily Trek talk because we have a new show on some topic coming out every day. So, Kate... As I said, it's been very interesting talking about the Sulabine, and you, you actually made me think about them in a different way, really, than I have. And I've, you know, I've seen the series through quite a few times, and uh, especially Detained. I'm going to have to go back this week. I'm going to have to watch Detained and, mm. and watch it with new eyes. Kate, you may have noticed this week in the U.S. iTunes store that we we got a lot of attention from Apple, and I was really pleased to see that we. Ended up in the new and noteworthy section on the front page of the podcasts area, but we did a little bit more than that, didn't we? We did. Uh, we also reached the number three spot on the top podcast lists for TV and film. So yeah, we'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone for listening and helping us have such great success right out of the space dock. Yeah, it was. I was surprised that we climbed that high with uh, you know a show about Enterprise. But of course, we had great guests on the first two shows. So big thank you to Dave Rossi and big thank you to Brandon Braga for joining us. And uh, we are really glad everyone enjoyed those shows and hope you enjoy sticking around with us to talk more about Enterprise. We'd also like to thank Philip for some very extensive feedback on our last show about Captain Archer. It's there on our site. Philip uh, gave us a lot of, of great points about Archer. It's quite lengthy. If you'd like to read it, you can go to the show page for that show, which is trek.fm slash WF3 and see Philip's notes. And we'd also like to thank Jamie Friend 12, who left us a five-star written review in the UK iTunes store. And also we'd like to thank everyone who has left us five-star ratings in the iTunes stores in various countries. Chris, I'd also just like to thank everyone that has given us feedback over the last few weeks via Twitter. We've had some really uh, positive feedback, some great discussions with people about the show, in particular some of the points that we raised last week about Captain Archer, and it's great to receive that kind of encouragement and to know that people are enjoying the show and that the things that we've discussed over the last few weeks are enriching people's experience of enterprise. So thank you for that. Absolutely. And that reminds me to tell everyone where to find us if you want to share your thoughts. So, of course, as Kate just mentioned, you'll find us on Twitter. Our username on there is TrekFM. You'll also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can go to our website. There's a form at trek.fm slash contact. You can choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to Kate and me both by email. 
And if you'd like to send us a voicemail, you can go to any page on the website, look along the right-hand side. You'll see a tab that says send voicemail. Just click that. A box will pop up. You can record a message using your webcam's mic and upload it to us as an MP3 file right there from the box. Now, Kate, we gave everyone the Trek FM account on Twitter. What about you? What if people want to find you personally? If people want to find me personally, you can find me on Twitter as well. My handle is at KateIsGreatOkay. And if you want to follow me, if you follow the show, just send me uh, an at reply and I'll follow you back. Excellent. And if you'd like to find me, my username is C Brian Jones. That's the letter C and Brian with a Y. And you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that username. You'll also find me elsewhere on the network every week on The Orb with Matthew Rushing, where we talk Deep Space Nine, on Literary Treks, also with Matthew, where we talk Star Trek books and comics. You'll find me on The Ready Room as well, where we talk about all five of the live action series, as well as the movies, with a very diverse panel of guests that changes every week. So come check us out over there. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsors for today's show. It's very important to us that you support our sponsors. It helps us bring this programming to you every week. And the first sponsor is Squarespace, which is the web's best hosting and CMS that makes it simple for you to create a beautiful blog, website, portfolio, online store, or really anything you can imagine. I use Squarespace myself. I have for about six years. I absolutely love it. And I'd love for you to create your own space today as well. I promise you're going to love it. Just go to squarespace.com for your free 14-day trial and then use offer code TREK7 to save 10% on your lifetime purchase on new accounts. Also, please visit trekfan.org. It's an amazing chance for you to come together with fans to do more than just talk about Star Trek. Now, Kate, I love to talk about Star Trek. I think you love to talk about Star Trek as well, don't you? Yeah, you can't shut me up about Star Trek. (laughs) That's why you're on the Star Trek podcast. But, you know, (laughs) we can sit around and talk about Star Trek all we want to, but We're never really going to get to that Star Trek future by just doing that. We need to be more active. And that's why you need to go to trekfan.org because there you can collaborate with other fans to solve puzzles and complete real life mission objectives. It's a great way to learn. It's a great way to help us move towards the Star Trek future. You can turn your love for Star Trek into something that can help us get there to Archer's time and beyond. So support us and support TrekFan by visiting trekfan.org. Solve that first puzzle and take your next step on your adventure. And lastly, if you would personally like to support the network and our programming, visit trek.fm slash donate. We have eight new alien-themed badges as a thank you for your contribution, and they're perfect for your shirt, your bag, or even your Starfleet blue undies for you Enterprise fans. <laughs> they're 44mm badges with original illustration by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the art that you see on our website. Those are at trek.fm slash donate, and your donations help us cover the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth that's needed to bring this programming to you every week. So thanks everyone for listening. Join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for yet another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>